all day. If you wanna solve a Christmas mystery, you're gonna need to know a little Christmas history. What do you know about Frosty? What do you know about Rudolph? What do you know about Jack Frost? I'm sure that you've heard of Santa Claus. Welcome to the Weird Christmas Podcast. I'm Craig Kringle. My quest to bring the Christmas ghost story tradition back to the U.S. hasn't quite gone viral yet. This is a source of daily debilitating regret. However, I've been blessed to find some allies in this very niche cultural war who helped me soldier on. These are folk who troll the backwaters of the internet and, believe it or not, actual physical paper archives of this venerable tradition. Many of them helped get this old stuff published, and I've talked to some of them on earlier episodes, so they're hopefully familiar names. Tara Moore, Jim Moon, and some others. But there's one guy whose name I have mentioned, but who I haven't yet given all the credit he deserves. And that would be the editor of Volumes 4 and 5 of the Valancourt Book of Christmas Ghost Stories, Christopher Filippo. We're going to talk about those books eventually, because they're good stuff, but... What's more of a treasure to me are the emails that Chris has been sending me for over a year now. See, Chris and I belong to an unofficial little club. It's a club that's gotten a kind of bad rap through the years from certain highbrow historians, but it's a club that does the kind of history that's getting increasingly respected both in academic circles and in more popular writing. We are antiquarians. An antiquarian is a historian, but a very particular kind. Professional tenured historians, you know, the kind who teach college kids paying outlandish sums for an education that comes with maid service suites and luxury athletic centers and five-star dining halls, those folk will sometimes look down on antiquarians, because on the surface we may seem more like collectors than scholars. We're hunters and gatherers, more than professors, really. We spend our time digging in archives and uncatalogued collections and museums' bulk uploads and random scans, looking for whatever it is that we like. For me, of course, it's old Christmas cards. I can spend hours trolling image archives and antique stores and boxes of random cards and used bookstores looking for just those one or two cards that strike that thrill of, wow, that's f***ed up. And I gotta admit, I've gotten pretty good at it in my little corner of holiday ephemera. But Chris can find and has found things that astound me. He caught the Christmas history bug, and he's dug up some of the most remarkable examples of Christmas weirdness, from poems to headlines to old ads to accounts of strange holiday parties to just so many things that he's always generous enough to share in my inbox. I've told him on a number of occasions he needs to start his own site to share all these wonders instead of waiting for a book, but he seems like a much more patient man than me. Anyway, I wanted to talk to him for a while because of the Christmas ghost story angle. And when he put out volume four of the Valancourt Book of Christmas Ghost Stories last year, it was remarkable for being like a new collection of American Christmas ghost stories. And he did the other three collections one better by making sure that all of his stories didn't just come out at Christmas, but actually were about or mentioned Christmas. That's something Americans who get into this tradition sometimes kind of find disappointing. I mean, M.R. James, like the master of the English Christmas ghost story, hardly mentions the holiday. Dickens kind of skewed all of our expectations. But Chris came through in spades with last year's book, and he's done it again this year with Volume 5, which heads back to the U.K., But like I said, he doesn't stop with ghost stories and instead digs back through as many forgotten and hard-to-access periodicals and newspapers as he can to find some of the best old Christmas stuff that I've ever seen. And I just can't say how grateful I am for what he shares with me. Often just out of the blue and sometimes just because I'll post some weird card that reminds him of an entire poem about Santa who went and ran over dogs and crippled old people and crushed some kids because he was in such a rush. 
And that was the second thing he sent me, by the way. It only got better. Anyway, I'm done gushing. So here's my chat with Chris Filippo about Christmas ghost story history and so much more. Um, so why don't we start with, yeah, how did you get to do the, the book of ghost stories? And how did you get to have them focus on America? Yeah, I had been interested in um, Christmas ghost stories for a long time. Uh, like a lot of people, I think I had grown curious about them initially through the lyrics of the song. Yep. There will be scary ghost stories and tales of the glory. Yeah, at some point, uh, quite a number of years ago, I had hunted down some examples and I had picked up a collection of um, Dickens' Christmas ghost stories, but I had never picked up uh, an anthology of Christmas ghost stories by any other um, editor for mm-hmm. whatever reason. Like There are a number of uh, older anthologies, like Richard Dalby had done quite a few mm-hmm. uh, Christmas anthologies. Then I ended up buying the first in the Valancourt series, and quickly thereafter got volumes uh, two and three. And then I had written the publisher noting that they had done three years in a row and then skipped a year. Uh, (laughs) And I wondered um, if they were going to continue with the series or not. And at the same time, I was kind of um, mentioning to the publishers that I had done some searching since I had become interested in the tradition because of the song lyrics, one of the things I was curious about was whether there were any other songs that mentioned uh, Christmas ghost stories. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I didn't really find much mm-hmm. in that vein. Um, yeah. I looked too, like, especially when I was trying to do my first like ghost story episode, I was like, there's gotta be other songs I can use in here. Um, right. that mention something very few. Um, but I did find that there was a lot of poetry um, that either mentioned the tradition or the entire poem was kind of about Christmas ghosts. Uh, a lot of them humorous, uh, but not all of them. Initially, I shared some of those with the publisher and I said, you know, if you do another one, you could maybe uh, throw some of those in there. But then when I had inquired uh, as to like, why, why did they do three years in a row and then not another year, they respond, well, you know, we think maybe um, there's just not that many other good ones out there. And I thought to myself, <laughs> there's an opportunity here. Sounds uh, like a challenge even. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I said, you know, I, I bet that I could find uh, a number of other good ones. Uh, and they said, okay, uh, give it a try. And so I started um, collecting as many as I could find. And I think a lot of the other uh, collections, I, I don't know for sure um, how they went about finding their stories, but I think they were probably looking for publications of the time and then finding possibly the print edition of the Christmas issue and mm-hmm. looking for Christmas ghost stories, in, uh, you know, in the, the December or mm-hmm. January or specifically Christmas number um, and looking for it that way. Whereas the way that I was doing it, I was going into um, both free and subscription databases um, where they had done optical character recognition mm-hmm. 
of um, magazines and newspapers, more newspapers than, than magazines or journals. And so I, I ended up coming up with quite a lot of things. Like early on, I started having to make a spreadsheet just to keep track of everything <laughs> that I was finding. That's good, though. Yeah. It means you're succeeding. Yeah. And my, my initial thought to the publishers was that I would do a world volume um, with stories from different traditions from all around the world. But I noted that there were a number of different directions that I could go in just because I had found uh, so much stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, so the suggestion for American stories that actually came from the publisher from Valancourt. And it makes sense. I mean, yeah. it's English, you know, <laughs> and like they, you don't have to translate anything. So that's nice. True. I mean, there, there are a lot of the world uh, material that I had found was stuff that was translated already. Oh, good. Cool. Yeah. So I w became a little bit anxious because I had found a, a lot of American things, but I, I wasn't sure if I'd found enough American content for a whole volume, but I did, mm -hmm. uh, I kept looking and there, there definitely was enough stuff. I mean, I found quite a bit more than what went into the book. We, we did try to um, look for things that were definitely creepy or um, interesting, informative, and not settle for anything that was just sort of, meh, it's all right. Yeah. And it was, uh, I don't know, I was uh, pretty happy with the, the result. You know, there are some... Um, people who have looked at the tradition of Christmas ghost stories and they said, oh, there's, you know, this is a British tradition uh, or this is a specifically London and Southeast um, Britain tradition um, and that there's not really any American stories. And I, I found that that just wasn't the case. The, the, uh, there were a number of stories by American authors or Canadian authors and then a number of the European stories were also reprinted in American publications. Well, no, I was one of those people who I think used to think it was just an English thing. And when I first saw volume four and saw it was supposed to be all American stuff, I expected it to be that kind of, you know, like, oh, watered down, they're looking for something else, you know, but it's not. These are good stories. Yeah, I was surprised at how much good stuff you found. <laughs> I have to admit, because it's stuff I've honestly just about everything in that book I've never heard of before or even referenced. Yeah, that was another thing that I tried to do in compiling um, that volume, volume four and volume five. I had made a massive spreadsheet in which I put all the stories that had appeared in anthologies, uh, Christmas ghost story anthologies by other publishers. Mm-hmm. And then tried to avoid using any of those so that, you know, everything that uh, would be in volume four and five would uh, be new to readers. Because, you know, I figured there's a chance if people are interested in Christmas ghost stories, they might already have some of the Dalby volumes or they might have a British library volume. Um, yeah. And they, they don't want more of the same if they can avoid it. I think you're right. And that's one thing that, as you start to collect those things, yeah, there's a lot of overlap. And so sometimes you're buying, you know, a not so cheap old book for one or two stories. Yeah. So I should clarify too, volume four is all American, but volume five goes back to England. Volume five is the uh, British Isles. Yeah. So Britain, um, Scotland, 
Wales. Um, the Isle of Man is in there and not quite Ireland. Um, there's a story that was printed in Ireland, but not by an Irish author. I think Ireland will probably wait for some future volume. So before we get into some of the fun stuff, are you doing more? I think that I will do more. Next year, Valencourt um, already had in mind to reprint some Christmas um, novels that are out of print. Oh, um, that's fun. So there's probably going to be a, a break from the Christmas Ghost Stories series. Mm -hmm. But yes, I'm, I'm still interested in doing a world volume, potentially. And there's still a lot of um, American and British content that I had found that uh, is very good, but there was not room for. That's great. I'd actually be really curious, like especially if there's some good sort of colonial era stuff, but sort of mixing of like British Empire kind of stuff. Um, yeah, there's not so much. I, I did find like in British newspapers that were published in uh, other parts of the empire. So mm -hmm. British uh, newspapers published in parts of India that there's at least mentions of the tradition. Mm -hmm. um, and there are stories published uh, in the British Isles that are set in India or other parts of the mm -hmm. world. Um, so like in volume five, there is a story set uh, in Egypt, for example. So yeah, there definitely is some of that. And I, I had some worry that some of those could be pretty racist in nature. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. A oh, lot yeah. of uh, very racist uh, American stories that I had been finding and those just did not go into volume four. Yeah. Um, Ghost uh, stories are supposed to be creepy, but they are different kinds. Yeah, of creepy. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, I mean, there is a sense of that kind of empire, but it doesn't always come out the way uh, you might expect. So with the Egyptian story um, about a mummy and uh, some stolen jewelry, if there's a moral to the story, and, you know, it's a funny thing. We think of morals uh, with Dickens' mm -hmm. Christmas Carol, but a lot of these other kind of Christmas ghost stories are not as moralistic as his. Mm -hmm. uh, there's only maybe a broad uh, moral that making a deal with the devil is not a good idea <laughs> if you can avoid <laughs> doing that. Um, but like with the, the mummy story, it definitely seems to have a message that, you know, don't steal jewelry from a mummy. That's just a bad <laughs> idea. And there, there was a, num a, a very similar story that was set in India where there was a, a bracelet that was stolen from uh, an Indian woman. And that goes very poorly for people too. <laughs> so it's like, you know, let them, let them keep their things. Um, but yeah, a little bit different message from, you know, keep the Christmas spirit in your heart all year round and right. all that kind of thing. Yeah. And give to charity or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know too, you had just kind of on that one thing that strikes a lot of people, like when they first pick up some of those Christmas ghost stories is how few of some of the most well-known ones actually take place at Christmas. But I know you said that that's with a lot of the American stories that you found, they actually are ghost stories that are happening in or around Christmas, which is nice instead of just being stories that are told 
at that time. Yeah, I think um, some of that in terms of what I included was my own prejudice that I, I found the story set at Christmas um, to be more satisfying mm-hmm. as Christmas ghost stories than the ones that don't mention that were published at Christmas, but don't yeah. mention the holiday at all. I, I actually went through the different, um, the five Valancourt volumes to check which of them uh, the stories actually mentioned Christmas that, that were set there mm-hmm. at that time. And uh, volume one had 38% that mentioned Christmas mm-hmm. in some way. So the, oh, that's the, higher than I thought it was. Yeah. I listened to the podcast and kind of you and, and the editor herself were not sure that there was much more than a couple. Now the, it may be only very passing mentions of Christmas, but right. it's at least, um, you find the word in there. Uh, volume two had 53%. Uh, volume three had 65%. And then my uh, American volume four had 93%. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then volume five, the British Isles, uh, 76%. So there are a lot of um, the stories from the British Isles that are set at Christmas. Uh, it may be. Um, again, that people were looking in Christmas numbers of mm-hmm. um, periodicals, uh, whereas I was looking more in newspapers, mm-hmm. and, and maybe that accounts partly for um, why Christmas is mentioned more in the ones yeah. that I, I was finding, but I'm yeah. not sure. And But I do agree with you. It's just more satisfying to have them there. And I think partly it, it might not matter so much. Like a lot of, a lot of people I know from the UK have said that it doesn't really matter to them so much, but I think that's when you grow up with the tradition of just telling those kind of stories at that time, you've got that, you know, mood and background and sense and, and it's more the time of the year when they're told rather than the content of the stories. But for us, I think when we hear about it, um, whether in the U.S. or or just sort of more modern sensibilities or whatever, it it seems like if you want to get a good, strange, creepy Christmas experience, it needs to happen at Christmas. Otherwise, you just read Stephen King on Christmas Eve and call it a day. But um, yeah, again, maybe that's my prejudice, too. (laughs) Well, I think that's partly also the influence of Christmas horror movies. you know, you could have a movie that was that is a horror movie released at Christmas, but is that a Christmas horror movie exactly? Mm-hmm. I would say no. But you know, if it has a killer Santa Claus or somebody killing Santa Claus or Krampus or you know, those are those are what we think of as Christmas horror movies, uh, the yeah. ones that actually include the holiday. Yeah. And this is side note, but that whole thing about whether or not Die Hard's a Christmas movie, um, <laughs> that's just spawned a huge sort of weird set of rabbit hole arguments about, you know, how do you determine whether something's a holiday movie or not? And you know, is it just mentioned Christmas? Does it have the spirit? So there's there's all kinds of fun stuff. If I could figure out how to put some of those weird arguments together in in a podcast, I'd do it. <laughs> Well, good. Well, what are some of your favorites? Um, and I'll have to ask you about some of the favorites from each volume, but then also maybe some things that you ha- that haven't been included. Actually, let's start with the American ones. What are some of your favorite that stand out? Um, I had really liked the Blizzard by Luke Sharp. Mm-hmm. Um, the it, it's a funny story, but it 
uh, also a morbid one, and the tone of it is so um, unique that it really appealed to me a lot. And I, I had already been familiar with the author Luke Sharp somewhat, because um, his his name kept coming up. Mm -hmm. uh, in the course of my research about um, the author H.C. Dodge, uh, one of whose poems is included in the book. It's H.C. Uh, Dodge has a shape poem where it's a, a jack-in-the-box shape uh, in a poem that fits within that shape. Um, That's not an easy one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he has much more complex shapes than that. Uh, and I... I haven't seen a lot of reviews online in my book, but I, I know people did respond quite a bit to, to that H.C. Dodge poem, mm -hmm. but they had n never seen anything like that before. Um, I don't know what people made of uh, the blizzard, but I did really like that. Um, Maybe just could you do a quick summary? Cause you'll do a better job. I know I, I know I read it, but it's. Um, yeah, it's uh, some, a, a pair of men, they're building um, a cabin out in the wilderness. And one of them sees his own skeleton. And uh, the skeleton is kind of offering these gentle criticisms of uh, what he's doing and how he's doing <laughs> it. Um, it turns out that they're building the chimney uh, in a way that will not turn out well for them. Yeah, so it's it's not... Um, sort of a stereotypical kind of uh, sheeted ghost, you know, the uh, ghost that has the winding cloth around it or, um, you know, a, a ghost that looks like a person but is transparent. You know, it's his own skeleton that's talking to him, which is <laughs> just weird um, and kind of appealing. And I don't know for sure, but that might that story might have... Uh, inspired the artist for the cover art, uh, the snowman with the skull. With the skull. Yeah. That's cool. The other one that I liked in there, just because when I sent, or I should say, when you sent me a copy last year, um, the werewolves, because I was really trying to get in last year to learn more about Christmas werewolves. And it was fun to see that idea show up in an American story as well. Right. Which was usually something that, and I, I mean, granted, the characters, at least I, I, the way I responded or the, the way I interpreted it, the characters were, had more of a, you know, at least a French Creole kind of background, but something of a European background that was going on there. But just to at least see that idea pop up even over here was pretty unique because it was a bit of a strange idea even in Europe at the time. Right. Uh, and volume five has not a werewolf exactly, but there's a story that involves uh, a man that keeps wolves as um, pets and his wife gets bitten by a wolf. And there's a creature that kind of results. Um, and it doesn't really specify what exactly that creature is. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it might be a werewolf, but who knows? There are other uh, Christmas werewolf stories that I had found too. So those are in, in reserve, maybe. That's awesome. Do you have a good sense of any different trends between the American and UK stories? Topics that, that show up more in US ghost stories or uh, happy versus sad endings? Or you already talked about the 
a little bit less sort of overall moral uh, sense that you started to find in a lot of them. But yeah, is there, do you feel like there's any sort of category difference that you could spot between UK and America? Hmm. Um, I'm not sure about that. I mean, I have been trying to do some thinking about the stories um, in, in terms of like, if, if I was going to write a volume of, you know, literary criticism or mm-hmm. kind of examine the history of the tradition and create a sort of a history book rather than an anthology, um, what would that look like? And mm-hmm. I, I haven't gotten too far with that. Um, I'm hoping maybe somebody else, uh, I, I would not feel bad if somebody else um, kind of took up uh, <laughs> all these anthologies and did their own study of it. It would be great, really, if, if that happened. Yeah, it's hard to say. And there were a lot of funny stories, both um, American and British, that I found um, that are very good, but we didn't um, include much in that nature because we figured kind of if people are looking for ghost stories, for the most part, they're looking for um, scarier ones right. than the funny ones. Um, so there there would almost have to be a, a separate volume if we wanted to collect um, the funny ones and sort of make it quite explicit on the cover that, yeah. You know, this is humorous stuff. Don't don't expect uh, yeah. to be scared so much. And Valancourt has a bunch of they focus a little bit more on like horror stories and like there's a collections of Valancourt horror stories and exactly things like that. Yeah. yeah. So what about um, examples of things you haven't included, unless there are things you don't want to share yet because they're waiting for future volumes. But any fun tidbits of things that maybe almost got in either one of these? Uh, yeah, there's quite a few. I, I mentioned uh, earlier that there was a story set in India where there's a you know a bracelet that's stolen from an Indian woman, and that one um, it was just too similar to the one about the mummy's hand to mm-hmm. to have in the same volume. But what was kind of amusing about that story um, is that in the end, the the man who had bought this uh, cursed um, bracelet uh, is talking to the man that he bought it from, and he's saying, oh, yeah, you know, whenever people buy these old things, like, you just don't know the history of the item that you're getting. And so the man ends up getting rid of everything that uh, he owns in his house and buying everything new because he doesn't want anything haunted anymore. (laughs) Um, And I thought that that, I don't know if it was intention, but I figured probably the advertisers in um, the publication that included that story would have been very happy. (laughs) Oh yeah. To have that sort of moral at the end, (laughs) buy all new stuff for yourself, you know, don't, don't, you know, take anything that's inherited from anybody else or bought used or anything of that nature. Christmas is a time of renewal and a new right. Um, and there, there were a lot of, um, weird things that I found that were not ghosts by any stretch of the definition like I, I was pushing it somewhat in volume four when I included like a cubist Christmas um, <laughs> or you know some of those things were stretching it a bit but they were so good that I, I hated to let them uh, 
um, just be yeah forgotten yeah. in the, the publication that I had found them in. Um, there, there was a very short story I found from 1869 in which um, there's a lighthouse keeper that visits a fair where he's shown a dead horse, uh, the ghost of which speaks to him, uh, but then the story says as to what the ghost said to him, um, make up your own mind as to what it said. <laughs> uh, and then it goes on, the story goes on a little bit further, and the uh, ghost is going to speak, and then it says, to be continued, uh, except it never continues. Um, let me see. There, there were so, a number of other um, poems or stories that had kind of evil Santa Clauses. Like there was a Santa Claus that turns a boy into a snowman and leaving his fate to the weather. Like he's going <laughs> to die when, when spring comes. It's like, oh my gosh. There was a poem called uh, Christmas in Mars from 1894. And oh, wow. kind of a Jabberwocky type poem or Dr. Seussian in that like the, the whole poem practically is made up of uh, made up of wor uh, words that are just invented. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, that I would love to see. And Chris sent me some stuff right after this, so I have to share some of it and read it with you now. This is Christmas in Mars. Old Cindy Claus has made his rounds with yips and flums and gilly goops. All babies weighing umpty pounds received their stockums full of snoops. The older wops got ribble dibs and woozy wogs all nice and seft. The pretty yums got loads of fibs and the naughty snooks got left. So it's peasy wheezy wumsy wum and chisel whizzle wee and peasy wizzy wum two times and chisel whizzle three. And that's just a sample. So I'm going to put all of the full poems of these things up on the show notes and at weirdchristmas.com. There was a story of Christmas Eve, a 1897 poem that's kind of like a murder ballad because it's um, this guy talking about you know, the woman that he's in love with is getting married on Christmas Day to somebody else. And he goes into the church and he kills the woman and kind of the groom goes after him and he kills him too. <laughs> oh, wow. And that's a poem? Yeah, a poem. Oh, but it, it sort of plays out like a, as though it were a, a murder ballad. It's Christmas Eve now, ain't it? Well, better still for that. For this was Christmas Eve, too, the time my story's at. I'm tough as all tarnation. I know it part, it's true. I sometimes swear like peasant, and I play a keard or two. But this yard day of Christmas, well, there's something in the day. So kinder, sweet, and sacred. Have a feller'd ever pray, it'd surely be on Christmas. But there I'm spoutin' slush. Me talk a playin' parson, pshaw, part I'm goin' to hush. Twas Christmas Eve in fifty. That would be 1850. Some time ago, well, yes, afore the war a ten year, for you was born, I guess. The snow was falling lively and the sleigh bells ringing clear. You could see the lights a-shining in the houses far and near. And he kind of sets up a Christmas scene for the wedding. And then, well, the parson, he was saying, will you take this man to wed? And the room was just as silent as a house where summons dead. When there come a thundering racket through the broken window sash, come an ugly-looking rifle, then an awful sickening flash. 
then a cry, my God, he's hit her, and a rush from all the rest, as they saw the blood a-running, running down her wedding dress. Then she fell down by the chimbley, with her lover by her side, just her lover, for the bullet hit a four, the knot was tied. And so, you know, sad stuff happens, and then, when twas over, Jim just kissed her, while his eyes run like the rain. Then he took his gun and started, said he'd try and be back again. Where's Andy? Well, they found him, in the snow, stiff. You can see just how it happened. Where is Jim? Jim's telling you, that's me. But it's great because the picture on the page it was printed on has a nice little picture of Santa and Christmas scenes up top and in half of it. So you should take a look in the show notes. There was a poem called Electric Santa Claus, uh, in which he has a horseless carriage rather than a uh, flying sleigh. And he beams himself into homes with a cathode ray, and he gives children toys that are only electric toys. Uh, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's an early sci-fi Santa Claus. That's pretty cool. Right. The ways of Santa Claus are changed. His reindeers are no more. And all his trappings were arranged quite differently of yore. Old-fashioned things are laid away or modernized, you see, and everything is run today by electricity. Across the snow he used to skim with prancing deers ahead, but progress now has given him a horseless car instead. And now he does not come, they say, down chimney flues at all, but has a special cathode ray that lets him through the wall. And now the presents that he brings to merry girls and boys are wonderful electric things instead of simple toys. I suppose perhaps it's better now because the times have changed, but oh, I loved that good old Santa Claus I knew so long ago. There's another one. Santa Claus turns a boy into a rubber doll. (laughs) Little Willie Robinson was bad as he could be. He wouldn't mind his pa, nor any of the family. He wouldn't go to bed at night, nor get up in the morn. There never was a more provoking rascal ever born. One Christmas Eve, Willie wouldn't hang his stockings with the rest. Upon the mantel, furthermore, he really did his best to keep his little brothers and his little sisters, too, from hanging up their stockings, as they always used to do. His papa promptly punished him and sent him off to bed. But when the rest were soundly sleeping, Willie raised his head and saw a roly-poly figure standing in the room, upon its back a bag that looked gigantic in the gloom. T'was Santa Claus a-filling all the stockings in the row, but Willie's stocking wasn't with the others, as you know. But Willie didn't care a bit. When Santa Claus had gone, he softly wiggled out of bed and slipped his slippers on. He seized upon the stockings that were crowded full of toys and took the ones he wanted, but just then he heard a noise. There standing at his shoulder was old Santa Claus, and he was just as whopping, ripping mad as ever he could be. He grabbed young William by the hair ere he could scream or call, and then he changed him into an India rubber doll. He put him in the stocking of his little sister Nell. When she found him in the morning, how he tried to yell. She twisted him and doubled him and bent him all about and even tied him into knots. But Willie couldn't shout. The moral to the story, which you'd better all believe, is be good always and a little better Christmas Eve. 
I mean, that's the second turning kids into things. Yes. And I mean, there's uh, even another one where um, kind of toys come to life and they've been sort of abused by the child. Uh, so when, like, rather than Santa Claus coming, like some elves come, I guess, to deliver things. And the toys manage to um, interfere with how the gifts are supposed to be given out. Oh, wow. And they managed to get kind of this child that had been abusing them turned into like a human toy hybrid <laughs> monstrosity type thing where like the parents have to pull a cord you know, on the child's oh, back. And stuff. It's really a little, quite disturbing, really. Um, and Santa Claus is going to have to sort it out uh, the next year. And yeah, that's the thing. There, there were a number of um, things that were just disturbing. There, there was. I had mentioned to you in an email that um, I had found this really long poem that uh, the author noted. Um, you know, people should contact me if they want to license this for public readings. Uh, except it was not something that you would want read uh, publicly yeah. because it was just so horrible. It was about uh, just. Uh, epic poem about a man having to kill his beloved pet because it had gone rabid. Yeah. It's like, who, who wants to read that? <laughs> so, so strange, but not in a good way. Um, and I had found also, there were a number of um, books that were published at Christmas time that were um, pretty morbid in nature. I had found uh, a book called The Embalmed Heart from 1889. Oh, that's promising. Yes, uh, but seemingly it is a lost book. I could not find it in WorldCat, and I contacted a number of um, specialists in the UK as to collections that might not be included on WorldCat, and none of them could find a record of a copy anywhere. Oh, wow. So... You know, I can read a couple excerpts here that were included in reviews of the book. Uh, and, and this is another book, like, published at Christmas, and the author felt that people would want to, again, contact him uh, about doing public readings of it. Um, and that was probably naive or overambitious on his part. It's, <laughs> it's like... Uh, not clear that this would appeal, even even among people who knew the uh, Christmas ghost story tradition. Yeah, so a couple examples of lines that were included in the review: "Your blue white features now are moist with death's foul slimy dew." <laughs> yeah, uh, or her lips said, "Forgive, not her tongue." For that from her mouth ghastly hung, <laughs> all horrid and swollen and black, her tears and her blood stained my coat, the streams from her eyes and her throat. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. Merry Christmas indeed. That's pretty cool. But we have to find that book, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm sitting here like, as soon as you said you hadn't found it, I'm like, oh, that's that's going to haunt me because I'm going to want to know what is, what the embalmed heart is going to have oh that's good yeah. now i want it even more okay. mm -hmm. um and then there, there's a movie coming out i think in november about lewis wayne the the cat mm -hmm. artist um 
he had done a couple uh, illustrations of cats telling Christmas ghost stories. Oh, wow. Okay. That I didn't know. That's cool. In one of them, it's like a two-panel cartoon. In the first panel, there's um, a big cat telling a a ring of uh, cats that are sitting around a a fire, uh, and they're all looking scared and you know, the little kittens are clutching the bigger ones and Mm -hmm. there's one that's falling over backwards, um, on its stool. And the caption says on Christmas Eve, Papa told us a ghost story with the lights turned down low. It was very creepy and our fur stood on end, but of course we knew that there are no such things as ghosts. Suddenly there was a noise in the chimney and a dreadful hoarse voice said, I am my father's ghost. And then in the second panel of the the cartoon, um, kind of the storyteller is running away from the chimney and all the other cats are uh, either also running away or laughing. Uh, and there's a bird, kind of a black bird in the soot coming out of the chimney. Uh, and the caption says... With a chorus of meows, we ran head over heels for the door, and Papa got there first. But the next minute, he picked himself up and laughed. You silly kits, he cried, to take Mama's parrot for a ghost. He did not say what he took it for. Uh, That's (laughs) That's pretty cool. uh, Two ghost stories that Lewis Wayne had done with his cats. Oh, that's nice. I like that. Plus, you get the little, I'm pretty sure that's like Hamlet reference in there too, right? I'm the father's ghost. That could be, yeah. yeah. It's a parrot, so we assume it, it mm-hmm. heard something interesting. Something. Something. Yeah. yeah. Let's see. There was a Christmas poem by H.C. Um, Dodge's aunt, who was much better known than him because she edited um, the journal St. Nicholas, uh, Mary Mapes Dodge. Who also had written uh, Hans Brinker or The Silver Skates, which is probably what she's most known for today, if she's known at all. But um, no, I think I was going off on a tangent there. Um, no, uh, I was thinking of a different woman, Caroline Wells. Uh, she had done a number of anthologies of um, funny or clever poetry. Mm. And she had. Um, nonsense land at Christmas time, oh, uh, cool. which involved in part the Lord of High Misrule giving gifts to cabbage heads, and they're actually called cabbage heads in the poem <laughs> itself. Uh, you're quite familiar with those from mm-hmm. uh, postcards, from the Halloween ones in particular. Yeah, particularly. Um, and she had another one that involved uh, Santa Claus uh, meeting Greek gods, which is Oh, wow. Strange. (laughs) Um, That's the, I had a couple people send me things like that for the stories before, but when they did, I was like, oh, that's really cool. And I tried to think if I could, I I did just like a cursory Google search to see if anything could come up. And, and apart from one weird little bad looking kids book, there wasn't really anything out there. Different kinds of sort of pagan traditions mixing up would be pretty cool there. Right. Um, also, in volume four and five, I, I had included a feature that hadn't appeared in the first three volumes, like interspersed throughout. There's some short um, news items from the mm-hmm. period or advertisements. Uh, 
things that are either about ghosts, Christmas ghosts, or um, Christmas horror, things of that nature, Chris, yeah. morbid things at Christmas. Uh, I did find another of other uh, news items like that that I couldn't find, like headlines that were uh, creepy. Uh, one of the ones that's not in, in it wasn't used uh, in the books, but the, the headline was Gruesome Present package for christmas tree contained a corpse <laughs> and this was a case of somebody that i guess maybe had a either a stillbirth or an unwanted child and they snuck it into somebody's carriage um and it wound up kind of among their christmas gifts oh wow yeah well those you've sent me a ton of clippings like that like that's some of the most fun things especially the ones that yeah, just sort of odd, those odd little knockoff summaries about strange events right. that happened that give no context or explanation. <laughs> it's just yeah, or, or not much. Um, 1913 uh, headline, corpse lost four days among Christmas parcels. <laughs> um, so a body was shipped from San Francisco to Steelton, PA, uh, <laughs> and was eventually found under Christmas parcels in Elmira, New York. <laughs> yeah see i mean i've got the cards and thing going but you have so many other things like fun little things like that that i don't know i, I wish you'd start your own twitter thing or website or something yeah <laughs> so that we could put it up, we could look at it yeah yeah there were just a lot of things that don't quite fit uh, into the book uh there was a poem called freak christmas from 1913 and it was a rhymed list of things not to give as gifts to uh, circus freaks residing <laughs> at a museum of curiosities. Just, you know, the weirdest ideas that they had. Like oh, people incredible. did have really strange sense of humor back then. So yeah. um, some of these uh, Halloween and Christmas cards that you're posting, probably when we just look at it baffled and can't find an explanation maybe it's just the artist thought it was funny <laughs> funny to do. oh yeah. yeah yep i mean that has to be the case with some of them because otherwise they're just too random um and of course there were so many going around you're gonna have joke cards and and some of them are obviously jokes but then there are others that and some of my favorites when you can't you just can't tell you know it might be it might not be but you don't know what they're thinking it's always, I hate it sometimes when people will offer explanations of some of those stranger things like that, because yeah, I sometimes just prefer the total non sequitur nature of some of the, some of the strangeness, but, um, but if there's an explanation, we have to find it at the same time. You yeah. said you, you just contacted Valancourt and had done this, but obviously you've got a lot of research knowledge and that you are well versed in this kind of research for, you know, finding historical documents or, or doing the antiquarian kind of thing or something like that. What's your background? Um, I guess my background kind of with respect to this, these kinds of searches, um, I, I've done a lot of searches like, like this for, um, I, historical societies. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm currently a trustee for the, um, Bethlehem Historical Association in Albany County, New York. Mm -hmm. um, prior to that, I had been a trustee for the Lansingburg Historical Society in Rensselaer County, New York. Uh, I had also volunteered for um, the New York State 
historian in Albany. And for all three of those places, I, I had done um, a lot of research about kind of overlooked uh, subjects. Yeah. Um, looking in, into the history of these things in um, primarily through using these um, databases with um, optical character recognition kind of searches. Yeah. Yeah. Of um, all these old newspapers. Have you ever thought about doing something else outside of the Valancourt books now that you've got all this stuff? Quite possibly. I mean, I, I haven't quite decided what to do with all, all the weird Christmas stuff that doesn't quite fit um, the Valancourt series. And there's quite another, uh, quite a number of um, other books that I, I've had kind of in development for a long time that mm -hmm. uh, I have to finish those projects and find a, a publisher for them in the, the volume of um, H.C. Dodge's collected poetry and short stories, for example. Oh, wonderful. Uh, he, he never had a book of his own. I, I have self-published some small books uh, with mm. poetry. I have kind of a, a two-volume monster collection that I'll be doing, finishing off at some point of um, the history of cemeteries in Troy and Lansingburg, uh, Rensselaer County, New York. Uh, That's pretty all, cool. All the information I could find about these cemeteries that was in newspapers and you know, about kind of when they were created and how they were um, managed over the years. And there's weird stories that come up in connection with um, local cemeteries. I had found... Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Yeah, there was a cemetery in Albany County, New York. I got that wrong. It, it was a cemetery in Troy where the um, caretakers started keeping the record book in a sort of code because he figured that they could never <laughs> fire him. <laughs> he did it that way. It's like, oh my gosh. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah it's not stupid. <laughs> I don't know how that, unless you upset your boss by doing it, but yes, yeah, so I've also done some gravestone restoration work. I, I had learned um, how to do that from some workshops at a local cemetery and had also worked with a, a professional who's made that his career and that's very satisfying work I, I had found um the publisher of a night before christmas when it first appeared in a newspaper um he's buried in the cemetery in troy uh, oh wow well, that's yeah. pretty cool so i've seen his grave um look at so chris the valancourt book of christmas ghost stories volume five is coming out. Volume four is available. Um, is there anything else? Do you, and I should ask, cause I don't really know. Do you, I know you have a, a short page on Goodreads, but do you have another online website, social media account, anything like that? Um, nothing that uh, needs to be mentioned. Exactly. I, I do have some pages that have some old uh, Troy poetry but probably not of uh, direct interest to um, the Christmas, Christmas uh, yeah. readers. Yeah. Well, I definitely do recommend the volumes that 
you've edited. And no offense to the people who did the first three, because I admire all of them, completely love the stuff in there. But I definitely think that the two that you've done do, I mean, you said you kept a lot of the weird out, but you are still able to get some of the weirder stuff in there. So your two are my favorite <laughs> without, without, without doubt. So I well, do hope you. people will check those out. Um, but otherwise, thanks for talking to me. We've, like I said before, you know, we've been emailing back and forth for a long time and you are so generous with sending me weird things on whatever topic of weird cards or whatever I mention out there. Um, it's awesome. And so behind the scenes, I'm probably going to be trying to convince you to get your own site up and going so other people can have so much fun with the stuff that you send me. Um, cause you obviously are sitting on a treasure trove of great oddities and, I just think it's fun and I appreciate all the work you've done to find this stuff, both for the the books and, and for the fun that you've given me. Thanks for talking to me. Oh, thank you very much. I, I've enjoyed talking with you and I, I do hope uh, readers will check out the two volumes and the rest of the series. Excellent. Links to the Valancourt books are in the show notes and at weirdchristmas.com. Chris has a Goodreads profile site where he'll post things now and then, so I encourage you to check that out too. But in the meantime, a lot of that extra stuff he's found isn't out or really available yet, but I'm working on it. I'll post the full versions of the poems and pieces I read parts of too. And who knows, maybe we could start an annual Christmas Curiosities from Chris part of the website where he can share some of the choicest treasures that he's found. I just thought of that. Should have asked him before, but hey, hit me up, Chris. Let's talk. Thanks as always for listening. Thank you to everyone who's helping me out on Patreon too. All the folk who've been with me for a long time should have gotten their cards and their stickers this year. Let me know if you didn't. And thank you as well to everyone who helped out through ko-fi.com. That's a site where you can you can basically tip me or buy me a virtual coffee, like little donations in $3 increments. ko-fi.com, K-O-F-I.com slash weird Christmas. Every bit helps keep this stuff afloat and helps the contest. And speaking of the short story contest, I emailed everyone about the results or most of the results. I told folk who are going to be on the show and who wasn't, but I haven't told anyone who actually won. And that's mainly because I haven't actually decided yet. But since I plan to get that ready to go here in the next couple of days, I suppose I should figure that out. But I promised I'd try to get that out for Christmas, and I'm doing everything I can to keep that promise. But I just wanted to say that I did tell everybody if they made it or not, so please check your email if you haven't seen it yet. So I will not be belaboring any more boring business in this bumper. Bully and bollocks. I should send this out into the world so I can get to wrapping that bigger episode present I know everyone wants. So off I go. But until next time, don't let Santa stuff you in his bulging, sweaty sack. You know, one day my kids are going to want to know more about what Dad did rambling into a microphone, maybe like 20 or 30 years down the line. I didn't realize I said that over and over and over again. What do you think? Hi, boys. Flippin' dong ding, 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 flippin' dong ding,